It is November 5th, and the New York Times front page tells me that Joe Biden sees a path to victory. The reason it's just a path, I'm to understand, is that Donald Trump is still mounting challenges to vote counts. Trump, of course, announced in advance that, quote, as soon as that election is over, we're going in with our lawyers, close quote. But Republicans didn't just start going in with their lawyers. In particular, since the gutting of the Voting Rights Act in 2013, they've used the courts to provide cover for the kind of voter suppression they feel favors them. They've played these cards face up for so long, it's hard to see why anyone would credit Trump's current legal maneuvers as anything other than what they are. Frank attempts to hold on to power no matter what. But here we are, and where we need a press corps that defends democratic functions unflinchingly, even or especially if it's the president attacking them, what we've got is, along with some strong and useful reporting, a lot of normalizing inanity like CNN's John Avlon telling viewers to keep cool and remember that the right to vote is really the fight to vote. Come again? Things are changing as we speak, but joining us to talk about where we're at is journalist Stephen Rosenfeld. He's the editor and chief correspondent of Voting Booth, a project of the Independent Media Institute. He joins us now by phone from San Francisco. Welcome back to Counterspin, Stephen Rosenfeld. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, let's spend a minute on the encouraging aspects of this election process. The highest turnout ever due to massive mobilizations and groundwork. And and also, isn't it to the COVID-responsive expansion of the ways that we were able to vote? Yes, that's really true. That's been mostly lost in the anxiety over what the result or the outcome will be. But The country since March went through one of the biggest changes in political culture in decades, and that is tens of millions of people voting from home or getting ballots in the mail and then finding ways to deliver them. And if you take a look at the statistics, state after state, the turnouts were just the highest they've ever been. And that is really remarkable against this context where there was more litigation than ever to basically complicate the process in the eight or ten possible swing battleground states. So it's really quite an an achievement. And public education and voter education and voters, they deserve some credit for basically not being uh, discouraged. Right. Well, as we record on November 5th, Trump hasn't let go of the strategy of what the press called legal challenges, which... I feel is kind of fancy language for what's happening. Without asking you to break down each individual case, what should we understand about the nature of the legal arguments being employed here? Well, sure. There are two big points to make about this without getting lost in the details. The first is that most of what Trump and the Republican Party are going after are small technicalities in the process of the way that ballots are handled or processed before they're counted and then counted. And what's really remarkable about these, and I've been looking at this today, is that the number of ballots that they might be able to throw out, if they are even lucky to succeed, and we can say in a second why they may not be lucky, it's really small, and it's not likely to jeopardize or change the outcomes in these elections. It's likely to generate a lot of 
doubt that could be blown up like molehills into mountains for their ongoing disinformation. But in terms of the litigation, it's been incredibly small-minded and kind of sloppy. Like, it should have been filed days ago, but was only filed yesterday or even today, today being Thursday. So in terms of the narrative or the legal arguments, there are only a few. There's really Bush v. Gore 2.0, which means they're claiming that like ballots are not being treated in a like manner. Well, what does that mean? It means that counties aren't doing the same thing step-by-step as other counties. And when you have states like Pennsylvania, where different counties have different voting technology, and they have different training for poll workers and all, things don't get done like robots. So that's an old claim, and it's not gotten that much traction. The next one, which is a little bit more consequential, because there are four Supreme Court justices, conservatives, who said this is a way you can come back to us, was basically claiming that only state legislatures have the authority to regulate elections. And they say this comes out of the federal constitution, Articles 1 and 2, time, place, and manner. That's the phrase. The problem with that is that it basically ignores everybody else. (laughs) So who's everybody else? Governors, secretaries of state, state constitutions, state supreme courts. (laughs) But we will see how that might come into play. Where it would come into play in this election is in Pennsylvania and North Carolina and Minnesota. The deadline to accept ballots that were postmarked by Tuesday, Election Day, was extended, but not by the legislature. So the question is, are those ballots going to be disqualified? And um, in Pennsylvania, they're being separated. They're being handled separately to basically put them in a pile that doesn't jeopardize the rest. And then the the third and final area where they're making these really nitpicky kind of claims is they're basically claiming that, hey, we're not being allowed to see the process or watch the process or, oh, my gosh, we weren't there when a ballot that came in that had coffee spilled on it was duplicated. So, therefore, everything else can't be trusted. So the, the big picture here is, and I'm trying to write about this today, actually, is the numbers of ballots that could be thrown out if, if they're successful, they're really nibbling around the edges. So what is this mostly doing? It's mostly building up evidence to try to discredit the results in the disinformation and social media and propaganda world. Right. Well, and speaking of propaganda and into media, when Donald Trump said he was going to try to stop vote counting, stop them counting votes in Pennsylvania and Michigan. The Washington Post said that that move threatens the ability of people to exercise their rights, the foundations of representative government. No, it, quote, threatens to draw out the final stages of the contest against Joe Biden, close quote. That blasé language, you know, the reporting of the shutting of polls in black neighborhoods, of lying robocalls, of fake drop boxes, of hijacking the USPS, reporting all of that as though it were a strategy and not an outrage, I think also goes towards ensuring more of the same. Yeah, I think you're right about that. You know, we've become so, I don't want to say normalized, maybe numbed is a better word, to, to you know, these kinds of tactics as if, well, this is just the way elections are run. The thing that's really crazy about this, with these kinds of claims, I mean, there was something in the paper today, the Justice Department had a memo, they might send armed guards in. 
the truth is, ever since the Republicans went after the Voting Rights Act and they gutted it, the Supreme Court gutted it in 2013, there is even less federal authority to even be present. Now, these elections are state-regulated. They are not regulated by the federal government, with the exception of, you know, the amendments that say women can vote and people of age 18 and stuff like that. So the thing is, they have less authority than they ever had. Most of the authorities they do have are to enforce civil rights laws, which this administration obviously is not interested in doing. But these kinds of threats make it to the front page of the New York Times. Right. That's what's crazy about this, because it just sucks up the oxygen for a more... Like, a, like creating context. What would that context be, by the way? It would basically say, for example, these lawsuits are incredibly rinky-dink. Let me give you one example. A friend of mine who was an election attorney was called to help represent the city of Detroit because they were sued. A lawsuit was filed yesterday to try to stop them from counting the votes. It was filed after the counting had stopped already. So this morning, they're only trying to go back into court, they being the Republicans, to say, oh, no, we want to amend the suit so we're suing the county because it's the county that certifies or makes the results official. So it's that ham-handed. But in the meantime, you know, they're just making all this noise about, you know, how unfair and how it's being stolen and this, that, and the other. And the press could be a little clearer on what really matters here. Yeah. You asked recently in a piece, if Trump doesn't win legitimately, who will stop him from seizing power illegitimately? And these past four years have been a lesson in of so many things, but in the kind of frailty or fungibility or uh, of the something of U.S. institutions, you know, and I'm wondering, going forward, first of all, we have to keep an eye on this smokescreen, this kind of throw everything at it and see what sticks and see what gets traction in the press that the GOP are doing. In terms of the voting process, what pieces do you think need structural shoring up rather than just hoping that no one else tries to abuse them in the way that the Trump White House has? What should change or what might need to change in the structure of the voting process to protect us? Well, that's really simple to answer. There's a new generation of voting technology that's basically being used everywhere across the country. It starts with paper ballots in most places that are marked by ink pens. But the way that votes are actually counted is they're put through a scanner and a digital image is made of every ballot. And then that begins the process of correlating, you know, the the dots you fill in with candidates and all. And so what I'm trying to say here is there is a much bigger body of data and records that could be used to very quickly get a sense of are the votes being counted accurately. And if you want to go in and fight about things that are, are not particularly clear, you can create, using those images, a library to find the paper and have an entirely different process, like a jury. And then people can really see and judge the evidence themselves. They don't have to be told by any expert to trust us. We've been speaking with Stephen Rosenfeld. He's editor-in-chief correspondent of Voting Booth. That's a project of the Independent Media Institute. Stephen Rosenfeld, thank you so much for bringing us up to date this week on Counterspin. Thank you so much for having me.